It is Friday, which means it's time to get in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle, brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. Always good to catch up with this man. You read his stuff. Uh, you've been, you probably follow him on Twitter, but if not, at Yayee, Y-A-Y underscore Y-E-E. I'm talking about the one, the only Josh Gross, who is editor at large at Sure.com. Josh, how are you, man? I'm fine, Bob. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's good to catch up as we were kind of in a lull in terms of the schedule for the UFC. And, you know, it felt like every single weekend we had a card, we had something going on. I, I, want, I just want to get an overall thought before we get into specific fights. You know, 2020, now in the rearview mirror, obviously not every issue has been solved. But how do you think things went ultimately for the sport of MMA, more specifically the UFC, just in terms of how they dealt with the pandemic and were able to pull these cards off? Yeah, I, I think on balance, most people giving views uh, held events in regular succession. As you said, it was almost like a nonstop stream of fights. They fulfilled their contractual obligations to their fighters. Uh, I think overall, the you know the UFC did about as well as it could under the circumstances. There's uh, still going to be criticisms about their COVID policy and the number of fighters who tested positive. Numerous fighters tested positive. Whether there'll be any ramifications for that down the road, but. You know, as we stand here today, uh, the UFC did what it planned to do in, in 2020, um, worked around obviously considerable roadblocks and uh, uh, made it happen. And I think the, the industry at large, it wasn't just the UFC. Bellator was very busy. Uh, ended uh, 2020 Japan on New Year's Eve with Ryzen, which is a big event. So I, I think combat sports period did well. Uh, and the UFC certainly leads the way as it usually does. Is there anywhere they missed in your mind, maybe in terms of a, a in not not how they put fights on, but maybe a fight that should have happened? Obviously, injuries and all that take that out. But just a matchup you would have liked to have seen, you thought could have happened, should have happened that did not. I, you know, I can't I can't pull one out. There were so many difficulties in getting fighters ready and making sure that they stayed healthy. Then plus the numerous. To get in the way, anyways, of doing it time normal. A fighter's getting injured in camp, or one thing happens here, or a bad weight cut. So there's so many variables to getting fighters outside of the cage that the fact that when they get in there, I think most of us just sort of focus on that. And there's not, but there are certainly plenty of fights to look forward to in 2021. And I, I think uh, uh, the UFC set themselves up very well heading into the new year. Josh, just a just a quick thought on on some of the personas of the fighters out there that have taken a turn from I'm going to be the wrestling heel and I'm going to be the guy that says the outrageous thing at a press conference to sort of incorporating politics into what makes them a heel. You know, Colby Covington is the biggest example of that. You know, his his support of Donald Trump became such a big part of his persona and in him being the heel. And then you see Jorge Masvidal who did it on a quieter level, but it felt like it hurt him in terms of his perception but just it it is a different it is a different approach to being the heel and being the guy that that is drawing attention to themselves what 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 was your take on how they went about that yeah i I think there are a lot of different routes to that um i think first and foremost when you're talking about ufc talent uh the organization itself dana white himself stood next to donald trump and supported him uh, multiple ways including speaking at the convention so Aligning yourself with the president, I think, is something that some fighters felt made sense for them. Uh, it was in keeping with the spirit of the company that they compete for. And, you know, they may have the courage of their own convictions and, and be genuine Trump supporters. I think in certain cases um, it was a mix of trying to use the president, who obviously had an interest in mixed martial arts. Uh, he attended UFC events. 
using that to elevate their own profiles. I, I feel like a lot of that happened in the case of George Mosvidal, who actually campaigned for the president. Uh, Colby Covington always felt to me like he played more of a role, and he, he did it early on, and he sort of jumped in that Trump bandwagon. I don't, I don't have an issue with any athlete talking politics. Obviously, 2020 was an incredible year in that regard. We saw from the NBA and MLS and, and all over the sports spectrum, athletes raising up the WNBA clearly uh, as well, raising up and, and speaking their voices. And, and I think fighters can do that. I mean, we can go back to Muhammad Ali and, and, and previous to that where, where this has happened and it's been important. The persona thing, the, the sort of the – just the, the heel aspect of it, sort of the entertainment side of it, where people are playing roles. I, I, you know, I, I think that there's a segment of the fan base that's into that, and it's helpful for some fighters. But really, if they don't win, if, if, if they don't become champion or fight at that championship level, I don't think it matters too much. People are going to sort of forget what you got to say. It doesn't, doesn't really hold any water. And, and that's the key piece of it. You, you can talk and be loud. Kevin Lee uh, was a supporter of Bernie Sanders, went to Bernie Sanders rallies. No one really cares because, you know, he's, he's just not, not at that level where he's fighting for a title. So if you elevate your place to like your George Mosvidal, your star, and, and, you, and you make these statements, people are going to pay attention. And, you know, whether there's a price to pay or, or you get elevated for it, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but I do think above all else, just to sort of finish the thought, the, the connection of the organization to politics, the UFC in particular, was something that we've seen starting 2016 and in the last four years, especially. And, and what will happen now in the wake of uh, a new president, I, I'm not so sure. Um, but it's not surprising to see fighters in that company embrace those ideas and run with them. Let's, let's talk about the first big card that's coming up. You've got a couple of fight night cards uh, coming up on the 16th and then one on the 20th that are that are – uh, you know, they've got some really good fights on them. But the, the the one that is catching the casual fan, if you will, is on the 23rd, and that's the rematch in the return of Conor McGregor for a rematch with Dustin Poirier. Now, these guys fought, what, over six years ago. Does that does anything that came out of that fight mean anything? I, you, you get people that say, listen, Conor's got the, got the psychological advantage above anything else is he's already taken this guy out. Dustin knows it. He can try to rationalize it, but you always have that advantage. Others saying, you know, that was six-plus years ago. These are two completely different fighters. It, there is no real advantage. Where, where do you fall on that? I think they're totally different fighters. Uh, they're different men. Um, they have much more experience inside the cage. They've grown. They've matured as athletes, and just they're, they're in their primes physically. Um, the one thing that carries over is Conor McGregor's power, right? So he hits hard, and we know that. And he, he does it with a fluid, uh, fluidity that really you don't see in a lot of fighters. And, and that, that still exists. So, you know, if you're Dustin Poirier, you want to avoid getting hit by that left hand. And he didn't get hit all that flush last time out and went down. Uh, but I think that's, that's the one thing that carries over and still exists. Uh, otherwise, they were, I mean, you look at that first fight, Bob, they were kids. Dustin yeah. Poirier looked like he was 12 years old. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think uh, I think you can take a few things if you really, really want to, but I don't take too much from that first fight. I, I don't I don't think Dustin's in any way intimidated by this moment. He's prepared. Uh, he's fought in the biggest stages and the biggest fights. And, you know, outside of losing to Khabib Nurmagomedov, he has been incredible. So uh, I think he walked in fully expecting to beat Conor McGregor. 
Do you do you have any doubts about McGregor's desire? That's the other narrative we always hear that oh he's made all this money fighting. He's made even more money with his his whiskey that he sells, and he's you know he's just not he doesn't have the same drive, I guess, as the young guy that you just talked about. We saw back in 2014 that financially that motivation's been taken out of play. So you might see a different version of him now. It was hard to tell in the cowboy fight because it was such a quick fight. Uh, but do, are there any doubts or any questions in your mind as to his desire at this point? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, we we've seen extremely successful fighters, extremely rich fighters across all combat sports, boxing, and I'm thinking about boxing who maintain that. But of course, we know that maintaining dominance, maintaining your edge, is probably the hardest thing to do. Right, getting to that peak. People strive to get there, but once they're there, maintaining that status is the hardest thing to do. And I, I think Connor's disciplined enough. Uh, he has taken enough time away that when he steps back in the gym and refocuses, he is refocused. Now, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, he's obviously someone who's enjoyed his life and has taken things and, and, and done things uh, where, you know, maybe not be the best for his career, right, steps he's taken. So um, whether, whatever his focus is, he better be prepared because Dustin Poirier is going to be prepared and going to be ready to win that fight. And if Connor's not, you know, Dustin can expose him. So I would think that that would be motivation enough. Is there, uh, before I let you go, just looking ahead at the schedule, the potential fights, I know we've got, you know, Israel Adesanya going up against Blahovich in, in March, but, you know, we talked about Colby. It sounds like he and, and Jorge Masvidal may match up this year. Is there, a, is there a matchup you're looking forward to that has yet to be booked, if you will, that you think it needs to happen this year? I can't wait for this fight to happen. Boy, um, you know, there, there are a bunch. I, I think there are so many great fights inside the UFC and out. Um, Who does John Jones fight you know, his first time out as a heavyweight? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I hope we get to see John Jones fight Stipe Miocic. And if not, then we see John Jones fight Francis Ngannou. Um, you know, I, I think that's something to really look forward to. And, uh, you know, across the board, I think, in a lightweight division, there's so many great fights at 135. But I, if you're asking me for one, yeah, John Jones at heavyweight against Stipe Miocic or Francis Ngannou, get, sign me up. I'm, I'm right there. He is the editor-at-large for SureDog.com, and he also wrote a great book, uh, Ali versus Inoki. You can find that wherever books are sold. And follow him on Twitter at Y-A-Y underscore Y-E-E. He is Josh Gross. Josh, thanks so much, as always, for taking time, man. I always appreciate it and look forward to talking again down the road. Anytime, Bob. Thank you.